Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. So in our gospel lesson, we come face to face with what might be one of the most difficult teachings of Jesus, the command to love, especially the command to love our enemy. So please pray for me and pray with me. Lord, make us instruments of your peace. Where there is hatred, let us sow love. And where there is injury, pardon. Where there is discord, union. Where there is error, truth. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy, O divine master, grant that we may seek not so much to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in forgiving that we are forgiven, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. So this morning, as I preach this sermon, in this season of all seasons, you might be wondering, well, who is my enemy? This was a question that came up time and time again uh, in the preaching team when I preached this about two weeks ago. And I'm just going to be honest with you. I, I don't know who your enemy is. And it's even hard for me at times to, to know who my enemy is. But what I can say is this, that whoever they are, be it a spouse a child, a family member, a neighbor, local or global, a political opponent, your employer or an employee, a coworker, Jesus says to you, Jesus says to me, Jesus says to us that we are to love them. Whoever will not love his enemies cannot know the Lord and the sweetness of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit teaches us to love our enemies in such a way that we have compassion on their souls as if they were our own children. Let me begin with a story. A little more than 14 years ago, a shooter entered into a one-room Amish school in Pennsylvania. This man dismissed all but 10 girls and fired at them execution style, killing five before shooting himself. Within hours, the Amish community forgave the killer and his family. News of the instant forgiveness stunned the outside world almost as much as the incident itself did. Many people lauded the Amish. They praised them, but others worried that this hasty, this quick forgiveness was emotionally unhealthy. In dozens of interviews with Amish people since the tragedy, our nation would discover and rediscover that the Amish approach to forgiveness is indeed quick and unconventional, but also inspirational to the rest of us. Before the blood was barely dry on the schoolhouse floor and the members who were executed, this community had already begun to offer words and hugs of forgiveness. 
shortly after what we would consider a God-forsaking event, the father of a slain daughter explained, quote, Our forgiveness was not our words. It was what we did. You see, members of this community visited the gunman's widow at her home and flooded her with food and flowers and hugs. They were a few words indeed, but it was primarily their gifts and their hugs and their mere presence, their acts of grace that communicated Christian forgiveness. In fact, of the 75 people at the killer's burial, about half were from that Amish community, including the parents who had just buried their children a day or so before. This Christian community also would contribute to a fund for the shooter's family. You know, for most of us, for most people, a decision to forgive comes, if ever, at the end of a long emotional journey that might stretch over months, if not years and decades. But this community inverted that very process. For them, the Christian tradition predisposes them to forgive even before an injustice occurs because they understand and they believe their Christian faith is grounded in the teachings of Jesus Christ to love enemies, to reject revenge, and to leave vengeance in the hands of God. As one father who lost a daughter in the schoolhouse said, quote, forgiveness means giving up the right to revenge. Unlike those who hire lawyers at every turn to protect their own rights, the Amish trust in God. They trust in God in the shadow of an unspeakable tragedy such as the one I just recounted. They believe that God's long arm of justice removes that need for human retaliation. And for this Christian community, forgiveness witnesses to a God who forgives sinners and urges them to forgive others, to pass love and grace on to those who wrong them. Can I love in this way? Can you love in this way? I begin with this story because I believe it gets to the heart of what we encounter in Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. That love is really difficult. And it's very difficult when it comes to loving our enemies. I begin with this story to put before us an example of a Christian community who models for us what it means to take Jesus' word at his word. A community who lives in the way that makes the kingdom of God visible here on earth as it is in heaven. A community of Jesus followers who understand that they are indeed a foretaste of the kingdom to come. A people who have learned to be at peace with themselves, with one another, the stranger, the enemy, and most of all, God. A Christian community who have pledged to be different from the world. A community who who says we pledge to be different from mainstream society where revenge and retribution is a taken-for-granted right 
I begin with this story because it offers a refreshing contrast. Rather than using religion to bless and legitimize revenge, this Christian community believes that God smiles on acts of love and grace that open doors for reconciliation. I begin with the story because it gives us hope and a living example of a community who has accepted the radical demands of discipleship and what it means to follow the way of Jesus Christ. And we have and we will continue to learn from Jesus in this series that his words are clear to love and to love our enemies. Throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus offers a vision of a radical counter-cultural community of discipleship, a community free of anger, free of lust and falsehood, free of violence. Jesus' disciples are to be characterized by overcoming anger through reconciliation, bringing lust under discipline, honoring marriage through lifelong fidelity, speaking simply and truthfully with all people, renouncing retaliation and revenge, and loving our enemies. Loving the enemy is the most striking feature of this new model of discipleship. The community of Jesus' disciples is to be meek and merciful, to be pure and devoted to peacemaking and willing to suffer persecution. And they are blessed, Jesus says, precisely in our faithfulness to this very way of life. And the community that I'm referring to here this morning is not just the disciples of Jesus' day, but anyone among us who would consider themselves a disciple of Jesus Christ. In other words, the they that Jesus commands are us. They are followers of Jesus, and we too are followers of the same Jesus Christ. And their behavior should be our behavior. In other words, faithfulness to this way of life is possible. It was possible for them, and it remains possible for us. But it is only possible because of the one who calls us to this way of life, who has shown us how to live this very way of life. Just two chapters earlier in Matthew's gospel, Jesus renounces the option of wielding power over the kingdom of the world. Instead, what does he choose? He chooses to worship and serve God alone. At the end of Matthew's gospel, before his arrest and the crucifixion, Jesus foretells his fate as one who will be persecuted for righteousness' sake. And he makes known that those who follow him will suffer in the same fate. We see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane struggling with his vocation before his father but aligning his will with the Father's will that he should drink the cup of suffering. You know, the temptation to refuse the cup is precisely the temptation to resort to armed resistance. Jesus, however, chooses the way of suffering, obedience instead of the way of retaliation and revenge and violence. So the point 
is clear. In fact, the point is more clear in Jesus' arrest where he admonishes his disciple who attempts resistance, admonishing him to put his sword back into its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the same sword, Jesus says. Jesus does not yield to the temptation to preserve his life by resisting evil. Rather, he does what he calls us to do in Matthew 5, 39. Do not resist an evildoer. And as the passion narrative plays out to its inevitable conclusion, Jesus dies powerless. Jesus dies mocked. Jesus dies. The suffering and death of Jesus, it exemplifies the same character qualities that Jesus requires for those who consider themselves disciples. In word and deed, Jesus shows us a way of life that is the way of peace, the peace that passes all understanding. Jesus shows us the way of life that is lived in submission to the word and the will and counsel of God. And when compared to worldly standards, the way of life Jesus calls us to is radically counterintuitive. But this way of life is the way of God. This is who God is. This is what God does. Jesus calls us to love our enemies, and his call to us to love our enemies is an invitation into the very life of God, the way of God, what God is and what God does. In fact, Jesus calls us to love our enemies so that, the passage says, we might be daughters and sons of our Father in heaven. We are children of God, and the call to love our enemies is an invitation to participate in the life of God, in a life with God, God with us. As God brings blessing to both the just and the unjust, we are asked to do the same. As God shows love to both those who listen and those who oppose him, we are asked to do the same. Jesus died for this very purpose. Not so surprisingly, we are called to take this same approach to life. Don't miss this. Jesus is asking us to be so fully in him that we take on his very nature, a nature that even loves an enemy. And to live in this way is to live as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now I want to pause and give some time to breathe and to think, because this is a lot. This is difficult. And in case you're wondering, like I've been wondering for a month now, how can I love my enemy? Maybe you're thinking, there's no way in the world I'm ever doing that. Maybe you're thinking, this seems utterly impossible. It is. Without God. It is impossible without God. Without God, we will never become the type of people that Jesus calls us to be. Without God, we will never cultivate the practice of love 
not to mention loving our enemies. And this is why Jesus says, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I say to you, love and what? Pray. Enemy love requires prayer. It requires dependence upon God to help us, to be with us as we seek to love. The kind of love Jesus asks of us is not possible in and on our own power. This is why Jesus does not simply say, love your enemy, but also pray for them, which is to say that we desperately need God's assistance. So we pray as we're taught, oh God, make speed to save us. Oh Lord, make haste to help me. So we ask God to help us in this relationship of love. And as we pray for our enemies, for our situations, we pray also that God will help us to see them from his point of view. This is crucial because we cannot earnestly pray for our enemies without acknowledging our common humanity. They too have been created in the image of God and no behavior, no matter how evil can erase that very image. By a raise of hands, how many of you seen the film of gods and men? No one in here. Well, if you haven't, it's a 2010 film that I highly recommend. It's about the story of some French monks called to serve in a remote monastery in Algeria in the mid-1990s, which was a period of civil unrest, civil war, internal strife, and terrorism throughout the land. Knowing very well that these monks would be caught up in the turmoil and terrorism of the Algerian unrest, they stayed in their little village caring for those whom they felt God called them to care for, knowing that they were putting their lives at risk by staying. Aware of how dangerous and violent the situation was becoming, the prior, the leader of the monastery, his name was Father Christian. He wrote a last testament. And in that letter, he assured his family and friends in the church that he did not seek martyrdom or death by staying, nor did he seek to be a hero for a cause, but that he was seeking to live out his vocation in the place he believed he had been called to live and to serve. His final words to his family and to all the world are truly remarkable. Here's what he says, quote, If it should happen one day, and it could be today, that I become a victim of the terrorism which now seems ready to encompass all the foreigners in Algeria, I would like my community and my church, my family, to remember that my life was given to God and to this very country. Father Christian will go on to acknowledge in his letter that Jesus Christ was not a stranger to brutal violence and that though his, Father Christian's, future death was very likely a possibility, he concluded in his last testament with these words of forgiveness, and they are as baffling as they are beautiful. Before he had ever been murdered, he offered these words to the one who would soon murder his life. Quote, And you too, my last minute friend, who will not know what you are doing, yes, 
For you too, I say this, thank you, and this I do, to commend you to this God in whose face I see yours. And may we find each other happy good thieves in paradise, if it pleases God, the father of us both. As Father Christian contemplated his own senseless murder, this fairly ordinary monk expressed the hope that the reconciliation of the cross of Christ would unite him and his murderer again. Victim and murderer, much like the two thieves crucified on the side of Jesus Christ. Moreover, this ordinary monk, a disciple who took Jesus at his word, he was able by the power of God to see his persecutor and murderer, his enemy, as God saw him a person made in the image of God and worthy of love. Father Christian was a man of prayer. He daily entrusted his life to the word and will of the Lord. And because of this, he was able to commend the final moments of his life and that of his murderer to the Lord, blessing him and praying for his salvation as if it were already so. You know, for me, this story witnesses to a Christian faith and a a commitment that is far stronger than mine on most days. I'll be honest. Especially when when I hear the command or consider the command of our Lord to love and to pray for my enemies. And what I've discovered in this story is the only way to enact love in a broken world filled with broken people who for many reasons become our enemies is the fruit and truth that enemy love requires prayer. Love requires prayer. So pray for your enemies. Pray for those who offend you. Pray for those who persecute you. Bathe them in your prayers. Flood them in your prayers and commend them to God and just hand them over to the Lord. As we strive to pray for and love our enemies, let us do so believing that God's long arm of mercy and grace removes our need for human retaliation and revenge. In fact, there is something even greater than justice, love for the other, even if the other is an enemy. And again, such love is only possible with God. So let us be a people who yield to the power of Jesus Christ in us. Sisters and brothers, may we be a people of the way on the way that witnesses to the way, the truth, and the life that is Jesus Christ, God in flesh, who for us and who for our salvation, as we confess, came down from heaven, was crucified, suffered death, and was buried. Sisters and brothers, loving our enemies is nothing short of miraculous. It is characteristic of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. When we love our enemies, we love as God loves. And such love reflects God, the same God who loves us as his enemies. The same God who continues to love us despite our lack of our faith and love of him. And it is tremendously difficult in our world to hear and follow these very words. Why is this so? 
We live in a world of violence. We live in a world where retaliation and revenge are all too common. And not just in how we act towards one another or others, but also in our words to ourselves and to one another. This is not the way of Jesus. Jesus says that his community, Jesus says that his church, Jesus says that if you consider yourself his disciple, when attacked and offended and persecuted, you will respond not with vengeance, but love, with prayer, and with blessing. In Jesus' way of life, persecution and offense and attack are opportunities for radical love. The command to love our enemies gives us space to practice the beatitude, blessed are the peacemakers. We live in a world that desperately needs peacemakers right now. Let us be peacemakers, lovers of God and of other people, including our enemies. So rather than contributing to the hatred and the violence that is all around us, the most radical thing that we can do is to love our enemies. And as we do, remember and never forget the words of St. Paul the Apostle in Ephesians 2, that you were once dead in your offenses and sins. You and I were enemies of God. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, when we were dead in our wrongdoings, made us alive together with Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. It is not a result of our works so that we might boast, but we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus which God has prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. You, sisters and brothers, you, believers of Church of the Redeemer, you, Christian, you are the very workmanship of God, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that you might walk in them. And if you're here this morning and you're seeking out Christian faith, if you're having questions about it, this is what you hold us to. We are wrong if we are not loving you and others. Hold us to the commands of Christ's teaching. If you are here and you're seeking Christian faith, know that you are invited into this very way of life, a life of love. A life of peacemaking. This is an invitation to you as much as it is to us. The hope that we are to have as people of God. This is the church. There is no other. So let us love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us so that we may prove ourselves to be sons and daughters of our Father who is in heaven. Let us be a people who live out a hope in such a hopeful way that others may ask of the hope that we have. And may that hope be characterized by love and peace and joy. May the peace of God that passes all understanding keep our hearts and our minds in the knowledge of God and of his Son, 
our Savior, Jesus Christ. And the blessing of God upon all of us, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, be with us and remain with us and cultivate within us peace, hope, and love. We pray this in the holy name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.